Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Are we live? We are live. We are live. Hello. From a tsunami. We're on top of the wave recording. Oh, yeah. There was almost a tsunami in California. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Return Canadian. No, uh, but truly, though, there was tsunami warnings over here. It was a little spooky for a second. I mean, we're not anywhere near where the tsunami would have been, but still. Yeah, but, like, I had to kind of check how close we were to the coast, though, just to make sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's we- like, we are okay, right? Eight miles is enough. Yeah, I remember uh, you, were, it is. you were sitting in the living room and I was in our bedroom and you yelled over to me, you're like, hey, we're not anywhere near Santa Monica, right? And I was like, no, we're good. Yes, I, I appreciate the, the validation. Also, like when I was visiting you in New York, what I didn't know is that your fire department like sets off an alarm for the whole city at noon every single day. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I didn't realize I didn't... that was weird until you were like, why is there an alarm? Am I going to be swept up by a tornado? And I was like, no. Yeah. Well, when in Michigan, they only do it the first Saturday of every month. Well, actually, this probably isn't a statewide thing, but like in my city, that's what it was. It's yeah. like, it's only once a month, but I remember I was like running out in the rain and yeah. then it went off, but it wasn't noon, but I guess the, that they was probably just, just a fire. <laughs> they just set it off for the fire too. So I'm like, yeah. I literally called you. I was like, uh, are we in tornado or not? Like, are we good? <laughs> You're like, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> they set off the alarm at noon and when there's a fire. So I guess there yeah. was a fire, but Anyway, I'm glad there was no tsunami. That yeah, would have been a good development. Although there was some high tides for sure. I did see some some water coming up on some people's houses. Hopefully no one got too much damage. I I didn't really check on yeah, that. I hope but so. yeah. Probably less damage than a tsunami. That that's for sure. You know? That is for damn sure. In comparison. Yeah. But I am excited for this week's story. Yes, this week's story is about Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. So if you haven't heard about this, where you been? (laughs) First of all, where (laughs) you been? Second of all, we're about to tell you, so don't worry about it. But I had heard about what Stockholm Syndrome was, I mean, way before I knew about this, like where it originated from, the the story. Um, And I was in Sweden, I was in Stockholm, Sweden, and I was with like a tour group and the tour guide like pointed across the street and he was like, Hey, you see that bank over there? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, that's where the Stockholm syndrome uh, originated. So I was across the street from this bank, which is pretty cool. Credit banking? Credit banking. That's correct. Yeah. All right. Let's get that into it. That is really cool. Yeah. But yeah, let's just start by defining what Stockholm syndrome is. Let's do that. Stockholm Syndrome is a condition in which hostages develop a psychological bond with their captors during captivity. It results from a specific set of circumstances like power imbalances contained in hostage-taking, kidnapping, and abusive relationships. And there are four key components that characterize Stockholm Syndrome. Number one is a hostage's development of positive feelings towards the captor. Two, no previous relationship between the hostage and the captor. Three, a refusal by hostages to cooperate with police forces and other government authorities. And four, a hostage's belief in the humanity of the captor, ceasing to perceive them as a threat when the victim holds the same values as the aggressor. Yeah, so very interesting, just right off the bat. I mean, that's quite the feelings to have, (laughs) you know? 
quite the feelings, yeah. But um, I think, like, when we go through it, and I think after after I'm going to give you a little more detail about the psychology of it, I think it'll start to make a lot more sense of why this can happen. Okay. And if it were you, you might find yourself in this position. Cool. A lot of the times the victim mistakes the captor's lack of abuse as an act of kindness. And this is kind of how they start to develop, like, oh, well, look, they didn't do this. That's so kind of them. That makes sense. The problem with this is that it's very difficult to find a large number of people who have experienced this because, you know, you have to study it. You know, you have to have a control group and, you know, you have to have a large enough group of people to kind of draw conclusions from it. And it's just not like, you know, hostage taking happens all that often. Right. As it should not. Right. I'm happy (laughs) about that for sure. You know, it's kind of a good thing that we can't do a study on it. but. Yeah. Because of that, there's not any studies that have been done, and we don't really know too much about it. We just know that it happens sometimes, and it's never been included in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So it is not official to say. So let's jump into the story, because it all started when Jan-Erik Olsen met Clark Olofsson at a Swedish correctional facility in Kalmar, where they became friends. By the time the men had met in prison, Clark had robbed banks many times. Clark became known in Sweden when one of those robberies went sideways and his partner shot and killed a policeman. Oh. Not great. No. He had almost become like a celebrity bank robber uh, because of that. So he didn't kill the policeman, but he was an accessory to the policeman's murder. Right. So he was in prison because he was accessory to it. Yeah. And also like the robbing part. Right. I'm sure. Like possessing weapons. Also not great. You know. Yeah. Small details, but Clark was 26 and Jan was 32 when they met. When Clark first met Jan in prison, his impression of him was that he was an idiot. Okay. This was good for him, though, because he considered him a useful idiot. And <laughs> Put that on my tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> useful idiot. I mean, if that ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he used this to his advantage and he could like, kind of get him to do things. And during their time together in prison, Jan would always talk to Clark about the time he spent robbing banks because he was just so captivated by all his stories and he wanted to learn himself how to rob banks. So Clark would tell him the stories and Clark said it was almost as if every evening he would tell Jan a fairy tale before bed, you know? (laughs) Daddy, can (laughs) you tell me a bedtime story? Yeah, I mean, you can kind of see like the, the frame through which this, like Clark views this relationship. Right. But Jan wanted to hear these stories over and over about taking hostages in a bank. And uh, although Clark told him that these stories repeatedly, he didn't think Jan would actually ever do anything. So that's where the idea was planted. Okay. And Jan escaped from prison. So while on the run on August 23rd, 1973, Jan put on a wig and fake glasses and crossed the streets of Sweden's capital city, Stockholm, and entered a bustling bank, the Credit Banken, mm. on Stockholm's upscale Normalmstorg Square. I hope I did that right. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure someone will tell us if you didn't. Oh, they will. So, while Jan was walking in, Kristen Enmark was working mostly just like any other day at Credit Banken. She had found a job there as a stenographer and usually worked in the back of the office, hidden from customers. But on the morning of the 23rd, she had actually come out to the front of the bank to talk to a colleague. And this specific colleague... 
she had a crush on. Oh my goodness. And she was trying to make moves. <gasps> the tea. And she had taken some papers as an excuse to go out into the front hall to talk to him when all of a sudden she started to hear gunshots. <laughs> oh my god. Jan had come into the bank, and from underneath his folded jacket he carried under his arms, pulled out a loaded submachine gun, fired at the ceiling, and disguising his voice to sound like an American, he cried out in English, The party has just begun. Oh, shit. Yeah. The party has just begun. And yeah, of course he wants to sound like an American, because that's some shit an American would do. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, One could say that he's popping off. He's in Sweden, so I mean, that's not very Swedish of him, you know? (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) So he then put a radio on the bank counter and turned the music all the way up. And the (laughs) the bank immediately turned into chaos, and Kristen hit the floor. Everyone else started hitting the ground too, hiding under desks or running for the door. Kristen recalls the most unnerving part of this all was that Jan did not seem nervous at all. Interesting. So he was just like, this is normal behavior. Yeah. And luckily, while this was happening, one of the bank employees managed to press the silent alarm to alert the police. So the police are on their way. But Jan pointed out Kristen and made the guy that she had a crush on tie her up. Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim, that if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone. As one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero. Not because they have special powers, it's because in spite of what they've gone through, they keep on going. I find them remarkable. Please listen to Chatterholic and hear their stories. <gasps> oh, <laughs> I would say kinky, but that's not great. You know, not, not right now. <laughs> not, not right now, maybe not. He also tied up 31-year-old Brigitte Lundblad and 21-year-old Elizabeth Oldgren. Uh, along with Kristen. So there was a bit of a pause in the chaos, and some of the bank employees actually asked how long they would be held. They're like, I'm sorry, how how long is this going to take? Yeah, actually, this is from Kristen's interview, and the way that she described it is that she said some of the bank employees expressed how hard it was for them to be there, and that they were wondering how long they were going to be there. And I think that there was something lost in translation there, Yeah, but... That's just so funny to me that they were, like, bitching about their situation. Oh, yeah. And... Clearly this doesn't happen very often. No. And in response to that, Jan actually let them leave. (laughs) (laughs) This is so funny. Like, that's not something that would happen anywhere other than Sweden. Like... I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I don't know anywhere other than Sweden, but I'm I'm definitely not in America. (laughs) Yeah. This is is so strange, but yeah, yeah, he kept the hostages, obviously, but pretty much let everyone else go. Well, that's very nice, I suppose. Yeah, and um, I think per the accent, uh, a bank employee later said that they believed that they were seeing something that could only happen in America. That checks out. So That definitely checks out. Yeah. Police did attempt to enter the bank and secure the scene, but Jan shot one of them in the hand while he was attempting to overtake him, and the other officers had to run for cover. Right. So, I don't know, honestly lucky that he didn't kill this cop. Yeah. Um, Shots are now fired. Yes, shots have been fired. Well, 
shots were fired immediately. Well, but yes, now at people. but at people and now have made contact with people. So Contact with people, yes. yes. So Jan made it known that he was taking hostages and had demands to the police outside. He demanded 3 million Swedish crowns, a Ford Mustang with a full tank of gas, and for Clark Olofsson to be released from prison and driven to the bank to be with him. So this is bold. That is a bold request. Yeah. I to mean, say, I want my buddy from prison hand-delivered to me. Yeah. Can you Postmates, my friend, please? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I guess go big and then negotiate down. That's, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, hey, swing big. Yeah. So Clark was, like we said, a well-known criminal in Sweden at the time. And he got a call from the Minister of Justice while he was in solitary. <laughs> he was in solitary confinement. Yes. Good. So he had just been moved to solitary uh, before Jan started this. And he was told that there's a man robbing a bank in Stockholm and is requesting your presence. And the minister asked him, what do you want to do? (laughs) (laughs) What do you say about that? Yeah. Clark said, yes, of course, I would like to be sent there immediately. Anywhere but solitary confinement. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's easy. Like, that is an easy request. Especially since he's a famous bank robber. Yeah. This is his bread and butter. 100%. He's like, this is exciting. Yeah, he's like, hell yeah, baby, get me the hell out of solitary. Yeah, literally anywhere. So Clark knew exactly who was in that bank, and he wanted to be there for sure. So he knew it was Jan. Oh, he knew it was Jan. I guess that makes sense, considering he literally told him a bedtime story every night before bed. Yeah. I was like, who else could it be? Right. And then would also request him specifically and would know where he is, you Mm -hmm. know. And Jan escaped. I'm sure he knew that, right? Probably. So he had a police escort the whole way up to the bank. The police weren't supposed to take him inside, had only been instructed by the Minister of Justice to take him to the bank. And then they were going to use him kind of as like a negotiating piece uh, to try and get some of the hostages. But once he was at the bank, the police had a miscommunication Some of the officers thought that he was supposed to go join the group, and then others were, like, on the right page, and were like, no, we can't do that. But Clark seized on the confusion and actually literally jumped over the police line and ran into the bank. (laughs) He said, they're not going to shoot me. (laughs) Yeah, he literally was like, he said, he recalled it, saying that he knew the Swedish system. He knew the Swedish... He Sally knew, sells, she shows. <laughs> he knew the Swedish system and the Swedish mentality, and the police were never going to shoot him because Swedish people are gentle people. So he played along with that. That's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet for him yeah. that he didn't get shot. Yeah. You know? Uh, but yeah, he, that happened. That occurred. <laughs> and uh, hysterical. I know. It's like so outlandish. Jan's plan actually was to get Clark to the bank. And then relax, because he knew that once Clark was there, he could let him take over. Right. Because he had done so many robberies before. So once Clark was inside, he saw that Jan had taken three hostages and tied them up. But he could see that everyone was really scared, and they all, I th- I'm sure that he knew that they knew he was a convicted criminal. Like, he's pretty famous in Sweden for, you know, being a bank robber. But Clark definitely helped to calm the situation and started making friends with everyone. He told Jan to untie them all and was making jokes, and then he told Jan to order the police to get out of the way so that they can start negotiating. So that, you know, get rid of the eminent danger, and then he's just smoot he's basically schmoozing with everyone. He's a sweet talker. Yeah. He's just like acting like everything's normal, oh. we're friends, saying like we can't have these beautiful girls tied up like that. Like Oh, okay. We can't have this. Okay, Clark, I see you. He is making moves too. 
God damn. Kristen said in an interview, she was so relieved when Clark arrived because the situation became completely different. That's so weird. You're yeah. so relieved when the convicted criminal who was in prison and in solitary confinement arrived from prison. Yeah, well, I mean, you gotta imagine that this lunatic with a submachine gun just tied you up and is threatening to shoot you if the police don't do something. No, like, it makes sense. And then this guy comes and, like, gives you any sense of normalcy. Yeah, no, like, it, definitely, immediately. it definitely makes sense hearing it, but it is silly. Yeah, oh, it's <laughs> completely... It's just, just, like, having a handgun, you're just, like, waving it around. It's nuts. So in her memoir, Kristen described Clark as good-looking, a mix between Che Guevara and Jesus. Ooh, spicy. Yeah. So she probably developed a bit of a crush. Yeah, he's sweet-talking and he's good-looking. Yeah. yeah. So the two became friends immediately, and Clark remembers her as a very sweet girl. And she later said that she believed Clark saved her life. So this is kind of like what we were talking about earlier, like... The fact that they didn't kill them is an act of kindness. Mm -hmm. So this is starting to feed into how this is going to develop. So after untying all the hostages, one of the first things that Clark did was take a lap around the main bank floor to make sure that no police had gotten inside. And he didn't find any police, but he did find another bank employee hiding in a closet. Uh-oh. Hey. Who, who became their fourth hostage? Good. Sven Safstrom. That sucks for Sven. So I know he should have ran out, yeah. but you know... I mean, that must have been so scary. Yeah. So poor Sven has uh, landed himself as another hostage. And meanwhile, the entire country is watching. News of this had broken everywhere. And I would imagine it was kind of on par with the OJ, I don't know, situation's a weird word to use, but yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, as far as like national attention, it was Sweden's first televised crime. So, oh. I mean, people are like, what the hell's... I mean, this just doesn't happen in Sweden, right? right. You know? So uh, they called it the bank drama. <laughs> That's wholesome. Trans uh, or In Swedish, it's translated to the bank drama in English, but the, in Swedish, it's... Uh, Normum Storg Dramat. Oh, that's... But it's all one word. That's very brave of you to try that. Yeah. <laughs> Normum Storg Dramat. Okay. I don't know. It's just kind of cool how they chain their words together, too. Sure. That's a side note. That's a... <laughs> right. That's a very uh, wholesome thing to call a, a bank robbery with hostages, though. Yeah. The bank drama. <laughs> you know, just like it's a... It's like their Broadway. Right. <laughs> yeah, so this was so unheard of. Swedish citizens even called the police to offer suggestions for how they could resolve the situation and arrest the robbers. And um, it's some of the most wholesome shit you've ever heard. <laughs> so a couple of examples. One elderly woman called in to suggest that the Salvation Army have a religious concert to turn their hearts and get them to come out. Just sing to the Lord. Just sing to the Lord and all will be, all will be forgiven. Oh my God. Uh, another caller suggested that they put soap all over the bank floor so that the robbers would slip and fall and be easily arrested. No. Yes. No slip. <laughs> A third suggestion was that they send bees into the bank through uh, the air vents so that everyone would have to come running out. Bees. Oh my god. <laughs> That's like uh, Cards Against Humanity, my yeah. favorite card. Bees? Bees? <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. That's incredible. <laughs> Those suggestions are so hysterical. Just put soap on the floor. Hello? They'll I, slip. Could you imagine getting that call? They'll slip and fall. Like, what do you say? Do you, like, validate it? You're like, oh, well, maybe. I mean, it does make sense, but also... No, it no. doesn't. <laughs> well, they would slip, but also they have firearms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there is that. Okay. 
there's that one little detail. But Swedish citizens helping very much yes. at this juncture. And uh, by the end of the first day, the police had actually gotten the Ford Mustang and parked it outside the bank so that Jan could see it. Okay. They set up sharpshooters around the bank in case anyone could get a clear shot at either of them, you know, just in case. Yikes. Um, and the police welcomed him to get into the car and drive away, just without the hostages. Right, of course. So Jan obviously didn't trust this. He knew that as soon as he left the hostages, they were going to pop him in the face or arrest him. So, you know, he knew that he had to get into the car with the hostages or not at all. So this is where they have the standoff. Obviously, they're not going to be agreeing on what's going to happen. So Clark went to work trying to manipulate the hostages. He would start to weaponize little things that the police weren't doing for the hostages, like giving them basics like food and water and anything else that they might need. So he's like, oh, it's like it's their fault. They're not giving it to you. Right. Um, I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to get it for you. So he's just trying to get them slowly to come over to his side. And he was doing this very deliberately on purpose because he knew that if he could get the hostages on his side, it would be safer for him and everyone involved because now they don't have to look you know, out for the hostages or have to worry about them trying to escape or doing anything stupid if you know they're on their side. So he's, from the very beginning, trying to cultivate this us, us and them uh, mentality. That's very smart. Yeah. He, he later said he's like, they were their own guards eventually. Like, it just came to a point where, you know, he didn't really have to worry about them. That's insane. Because these people, like, had families. Oh, yeah. We're going to get to that. Okay. Yeah. They they actually talked to their families. It's, I can't even imagine being, I don't know, husband or father, mother. Sister, yeah, sister, anything. anybody. So they ended the first day still at a stalemate, and then Clark is trying to win the hostages over. On the second day, like, they still have kind of the threat of the police right outside. There's snipers looming. Clark decided to move all the hostages into the bank vault, so it would be kind of their, like, home base. There's more protection. There's only one way in and out. It's further into the bank. Uh, It's just, like, tactically a good place. And so he moved everyone in there. And one of the hostages, Elizabeth Oldgren, actually complained of claustrophobia, which I know you are like, yes, I feel you. (laughs) Right. So she actually brought this up to Clark. He was like, okay, uh, we'll fix that. He tied a rope around her neck and let her walk out of the bank vault to get some fresh air. Oh, wow. Her neck. Yeah. She was like really touched by this, though. She was like, oh, this is so nice. Like he didn't have to do that. And eventually he let the other hostages do it, too. And they kind of saw it as, like, this really big act of kindness. Yeah, from the outside looking in, I'm like, that's spooky, but I really understand how they could see that as, like, an act of kindness and be like, wow, he really cares about us. Yeah. Because, I mean, I do understand the argument of, oh, yes, he does need us to get what he wants, and obviously we don't want to be in this situation, but he is making us as comfortable as we possibly could be in this situation, I guess. I mean, it, it makes sense. It does make sense. It's not which crazy. Which is, like, insane. Yeah. Um, so eventually, he would let them go out to get air without the, the nooses. Rope? Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> because they were, I mean, eventually he got them on their side. Right. And it just, like, that's, to me, like, signified, like, the mental hold that he had over them. 100%. And for a meal, Clark split up a pair that they had equally between everyone, since it was some of the last food that they had. And uh, at night, when everyone was looking to go to bed, Kristen set up her bed close to the door to be near Clark. Mm. And she did believe that Clark cared about her, and she also felt like the police and government did not. 
She felt like they didn't care about what she thought and were only worried about arresting Jan and Clark rather than saving the hostages. Right. So Clark continued to build on this sentiment. He really uh, used this to his advantage and actually let all of the hostages give phone interviews to reporters by using the phone in the bank vault. Oh, wow. So that must have really hurt the government's side. I mean, it's insane because international reporters are reporting on what these hostages are saying. And what they're saying, they're not calling to denounce their captors. They're calling to denounce the police. Right, exactly. And they were saying, we're fine. We're okay. We trust these people. The police need to back off and give them what they want. Whoa. So like, they're doing exactly what Clark wants them to do. And he didn't even have to force them to do it. Right. Kristen told the New York Times, quote, why can't they let the boys drive off with us in the car? That's so crazy that the hostages would want to go in a car with their captors yeah. and drive away. Yep. That's so scary. Yep. Because you're always, like, you, you hear over and over again, like, if you are taken captive or hostage, you don't want to be taken somewhere else. Like, you you want to stay where you are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, if, if someone is attacking you, like, you don't want to get into the car with them. Like, you don't want to let them take you somewhere else. But I guess it makes sense because they're not hurting them and they know that they're not going to do anything to harm them. They just want to like get away. Mm -hmm. It's such a crazy situation. Yeah, no, well, that's what they're saying. Like, oh, we just want to get in the car. If we go with you, we can like, we can go leave. We'll leave with the money in the car. We'll drop you off. You'll be fine. Wow. So basically like they're outlining what they're making to be your only path to survival. Right. So yeah, the message was that they were not at all afraid of Clark and Jan, but they were afraid of the police. In an interview on the Criminal Podcast, which is where I got Clark's quotes from, mostly, um, it's, a, it's a good one. You should check it out. But when asked whether he cared about the hostages or if he was just manipulating them, he answered both. He said he did care about them, but he was absolutely manipulating them because of the situation. He said he did it for the sake of the situation and not for fun. Because, like I said, he knew that getting the hostages on his side like this would be the safest for him and would be the easiest way to get what they want. I just thought that was like, how can you tell whether he's doing it for fun or not? Right. It actually doesn't matter. I guess it does make sense that he is doing it just for the situation. But, like, you can't believe that. I mean... No, yeah. I mean, he's definitely a con man, for sure. Yeah. But I do believe that he probably didn't want to kill anyone, you know? Probably not. Yeah, because, I mean, I think that's just, and I could be wrong, but just like a Swedish thing. (laughs) I don't know, but clearly this guy is not like the typical Swedish guy. That's true. You know? And I mean, I guess it's kind of a silly thing to say, because I'm sure a lot of people just don't want to kill someone, you know? Yeah, like the Swedish (laughs) Sweden has a... But we did just talk about how like Swedish people are gentle people. Right. So like the idea of hurting someone or killing someone is probably very foreign to them. Yeah. So it's probably just the manipulation to get what he wants, point A to point B, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So although Clark and Jan had secured a getaway car and enough money, the one thing that they didn't have was a safe plan to escape alive. They knew that if they left without the hostages, they were either toast as soon as they got in the car or they would be pursued, right? So Jan actually called the prime minister of Sweden. Oh, casual. To demand that they let him and Clark escape with the hostages. The minister obviously outright declined the request, and they came to the same stalemate conclusion that they had before. So Jan grabbed Elizabeth by the neck so that the prime minister could hear her heavy breathing and then hung up. 
Ooh. So they're trying to put the pressure on. Definitely. Meanwhile, the police were working furiously to try and identify who Jan was because they don't know. They think he's just some American at this point, right? So they're trying to figure out who he is. Maybe they can get some leverage over him if they know, if they can tell him, like, we know who you are. They actually falsely identified who he was as recently escaped convict Kai Hansen. So there was another guy who escaped recently. <laughs> Shit. And they actually found and summoned Kai's 16-year-old brother to the scene and took him into the bank to try and negotiate the hostage's release or to try and, like, move this forward. Jan obviously has no idea who this kid is and fired two rounds of shots at him. <gasps> when uh, he tried to go in and the police forced him to go out a second time and meaning he they forced the brother to go back in yeah even though i mean did he say like that's not my brother i don't maybe he didn't get a good look at him wow i mean he's getting shot at yeah i guess so, i guess they probably didn't have a like a any video footage of jan because he was just in the bank so yeah, they didn't know what the he 70s. looked like right right yeah wow that's spooky i know so this is from kristen's account this scene but this is really when she her opinion turned on the police she was completely disgusted that they showed such a disregard for the young boy's safety and their strategy obviously didn't even work and then they just sent him home right yeah they're just he's just a pawn come here get shot at and then go study math you know (laughs) that's true yeah but i mean at the same time she's just a pawn true i mean it depends on how you're looking at it yeah, I'm sure, like, nobody ever had dealt with this situation before, and right. they're just, like, grasping at straws, throwing stuff against the wall. Yeah. And uh, this is what they came up with. Obviously, in hindsight, it wasn't a great idea. No. So after this, Kristen actually called the prime minister herself oh. and spoke to him on the phone for an entire hour. Oh, wow. She said that she was very disappointed, and it felt like the police were playing checkers with their lives, and that she fully trusted Clark. She continued on to say that she was of sane mind and that Clark and Jan had not harmed them at all, but to the contrary, they had been very nice. She was, however, fearful that the police would attack them and cause all the hostages to die. This is her concern with the minister. She implored him to give up the money and the car while letting them leave altogether so that the captors got what they wanted. Right, so that they wouldn't shoot at Jan and Clark and then the hostages could be let free. Correct. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously the prime minister is in a tough position here. Well, 100%. Um, He's pleading with her to consider the situation. He's like, the robbers have forcibly taken you hostage and shot at the police. And he was flabbergasted that she trusted him and wanted to leave with them. Right. But he's like, I mean, basically his sentiment is like, we can't let these people go. They're just going to, they might do it again. You don't know what other destruction they're going to have. And then Kristen's perspective is she just wants to live. So, you know, I see both sides, but they obviously didn't see eye to eye here. At one point, Kristen actually said that she didn't care if she died right then and there or if she died outside. And in response to that, the prime minister asked back, wouldn't it feel good for you to die at your post? At your post? Like this is her job. And Kristen's like, Huh? I'm 23, working at a bank as a stenographer. Yeah, no. This is not, like, I'm not in the army. Yeah, what? <laughs> This isn't war. What the hell? You know? And she remembers thinking, like, you don't understand nothing. And she ended the phone call by sarcastically thanking him for the help. Oh, this is, is insane. They're still held up in a bank vault, right? Yep. yep, making calls. Just making calls to people, taking interviews. And a getaway car is outside with the money. Yep. But the only issue is, is they won't let the hostages get in the car with Clark and Jan. Yep. 
Great. Yep. Amazing. And how long has it been? <laughs> Two days. Two days. And they don't have food? They gave them food and water. Yeah, I figured. Because there's no way they could have survived days in a vault without food and water. So I guess there's that, but... Geez. Yeah. Still not great. Not great. Not good. No, not good. No. So the police then asked to see the hostages to verify that they were still in good health. And Jan and Clark brought them out without really any overt coercion. And what the police found were completely healthy hostages, but they felt their contempt for them and comfortability with Jan and Clark. And they started to fear that they were losing a connection to them. That's hysterical. Yeah. That they were, they could like feel their disdain for the yeah. police. And yeah. they were like, wow, they're totally comfortable with Jan and Clark. That's fine. Okay. So, I mean, they're fearing that, like, oh, we're losing them. And they wanted to try and get their families to call into them to get through to them and be like, wake up. Hey, remember <laughs> you know? me? I don't know. Probably just make them feel a little more comfortable, you know, sure. if you can hear a familiar voice. So when their families called, the police warned them not to, you know, to, like, don't make them cry or try to say anything that would set them off mentally. Like, try and be normal. Try and bring a sense of normalcy and calm to the phone call. And, um... I'm assuming that this led to what sounded like an extremely tone-deaf call from Kristen's account, where she recalls this like peculiar vibe where they're just talking about normal things, like her father was asking her if she's winning a lot of money playing poker, and, you know, just like scolding her for calling the police, like, those guys. And she remembers it feeling like they were making a joke out of her situation and not treating it with the gravity that it deserved. It sounded like she really got rubbed the wrong way. Yeah, but, as she should. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, they I'm sure that they conditioned the parents to kind of talk like that, but it was just did not help at all. Right. Had like the opposite effect that the police were hoping. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That was a strikeout on the police's front, you know? Yeah, you know, a lot of strikes here. Yeah. So the group went to bed on the second day, still in the same stalemate negotiating position. So nobody's budging, but there's a lot of pressure being laid on. On the morning of the third day, at around 10 a.m., it all started off with a police officer firing random shots to provoke any signs of life from the vault, because they haven't heard from them all night and pretty much all morning. And that's when another police officer ran down the stairs to the vault and shut everyone inside. So this might be confusing because I haven't laid out where everyone is in this bank. Initially, they were on the first floor in the hall. Then they moved to the bank vault. But there's a top floor where the police have been this whole time. So they were outside and on the top floor. And there's a stairway that leads down to the vault, which is where they were exchanging food and water and stuff and kind of like negotiating. They would walk down the stairs and they would just go back up and then like they would be right above them. But the vault door was open. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, they were guarding it. Right. No, but, of course. Yeah. It's open. They're just like, they're literally right above them. Crazy. The, yeah. Police are on the second floor, which is funny. Still. I know, like, it just this, seems so this close. This whole thing is yeah. weird because if they're on the second floor, you would think they could just come downstairs and, uh, but, you know, firearms are involved. We understand it's not as simple as that, but that is silly. <laughs> Yeah. But so now they close the vault door. Yeah. They so they, they shut them inside. Yeah. They shut them inside. And I think it was safe to say that they were a bit done with negotiating. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, they're not really getting anywhere. Yeah. And so. in, in Kristen's words, quote, that's when shit really hit the fan. That, that checks out. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> they cut the phone lines out so they couldn't call anymore. Okay. And that uh, they said they were done giving them food and water. Oh, man. Okay. And they began drilling holes into the vault. 
from above. They had gotten the bank's architectural plans to make sure that they didn't hit anybody while they were drilling. And then they just went to town. They're like, we're going to drill in. And um, they're like, okay, we aren't going to harm anyone with the drilling. We're just, this is our plan. And their plan was to pretty much drill a hole and then throw tear gas in there until they surrendered. Oh, shit. So That's not good at all. Unbeknownst to the hostages, obviously, but Jan knew exactly what they were doing. He told everyone inside that they were trying to drill in so that they could put tear gas in and get them to surrender, which was exactly their plan. And they drilled all day, and after about 12 hours of drilling, they hit an electrical box, which cut out the lights for the bank vault. So now they're in complete darkness, and they're still drilling. And no food and no water. No food, no water. And no bathroom either, because they're in a vault. That's also true. Whoa. A lot of poop. That sucks. No pee. Yeah. Oof. To keep the constant drilling going, they had to put water on the drill to keep it like at an operating temperature, and water was pouring in through the hole. So it was starting to pool uh, beneath them, and since they weren't getting any food and water, they actually tried to drink the water off the floor in complete darkness. Oh, no. That's how desperate they became. Wow. And I mean, this is also kind of like, I'm sure, fueling the uh, contempt for the police if it wasn't at peak enough already. I bet. They turned the lights off, and now they're not even giving you food and water, and they're just pretty much dumping water on you. And I'm sure it's loud as hell. Yeah. Nobody could get any sleep. Oh my god. So, Kristen recalls being completely drained mentally and physically quote, we lived in something that you could call the valley of death, and the situation had transformed us entirely. Yeah, that sounds like torture. I feel like being in complete darkness and being deprived of food and water and like being subjected to like loud noises for 12 hours. Yeah. It sounds like a form of torture. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure I've heard like a form of psychological torture being that they like blare music at random times. Like, right. I think they did that for Waco. Yeah. Did they yeah. not? Uh, yeah, I think they I think did. They did. Yeah, we're going to talk about that at some point, that story. That's, that's like a, a, a cult and yeah. a standoff between a cult and the... That's a the, wild story. A, what, AVF? A, FBI mm. and the... Yeah, anyway. Another, the government and yeah, a cult. Another, yeah, <laughs> another governmental agency. Yeah, but yeah. Oh, that is ATF. Liter- yeah. Yeah. Literally a form of torture. I mean, psychological torture. Yeah. Crazy. So once the police had an opening, it took them about three days. So it was about three days of drilling constantly that's insane yeah. three days of drilling yeah. because they were already in the vault for three days about or they were in the bank at least for three days yeah about holy shit once the police had this opening they put a camera down to take a picture of the hostages to make sure they were still alive and on two different occasions clark fired through the hole that they had drilled and hit a police officer in the hand and the face Ooh. okay that's not good so they're not happy no of course not So this is the sixth day. Jan then forced the hostages to put nooses around their necks. And although Kristen recalls not believing that he would kill her, Jan's threat was clear to the police if they did drop tear gas in that the hostages would breathe it in, pass out, and then hang themselves on these nooses. And the picture that they took to make sure that the hostages were alive actually captured them kneeling below the nooses and then the nooses tied to the security deposit boxes in the vault. So there's, there's photo evidence of this. Yeah. Wow. I'll put it on Instagram. Yeah. It's kind of chilling, but the threat's clear. Like, you drop tear gas in, it's going to be your fault that hostages hang themselves. Oh my god. That's morbid. Yeah. So, you know, the police are confronted with another, like, horrible decision. You know, they're, like, at an impasse. 
And I think basically at the end of the day, they called their bluff. And 130 hours after all this started, they dropped in canisters of tear gas into the vault. Clark screamed, get up girls. And Kristen really thought that he would kill her right then and there. But instead of killing them, Clark said, I surrender. And Kristen was so relieved and she started shouting to the police like, he surrenders, he surrenders, don't shoot him. Right, because there's tear gas now in there. So it's probably, I mean, obviously dark, but there's gas and oh my God, they probably are coughing. Yeah, the police opened the vault door and they wanted the hostages to come out first. But Jan and Clark refused, thinking that if the hostages went out first, they would get out and then they would just be shot. So instead, he wanted to go first with Clark, but before that, they all said their goodbyes. And they were seen shaking hands with each of the hostages and even kissing the girls before Jan and Clark walked out with the hostages behind them, pretty much giving them cover. Jan and Clark were immediately arrested, and the hostages were taken off in stretchers. And apparently this was all captured on video by the news, which I couldn't find, unfortunately. But apparently you can see Kristen sitting up in her stretcher looking for Clark and calling out, Clark, I'll see you again. Oh my god. The police called the bluff and it turned out they, all right. Yeah, they but were. it was ballsy. So they, they didn't have their nooses around their necks anymore when they dropped in the tear gas. They must not have. No, but I mean, that was the threat. Right. They even kissed. Yeah. I wonder if anything else happened. like in I mean, the... I don't know if it was on the lips or if it was just a cheek thing. I don't know. Yeah. I have heard that there was speculation about that. That there... Yeah. Are you going to talk about that later? Yeah. Oh, okay. we'll, we'll get into that. Okay. Um, so there was speculation that uh, Kristen and Clark had a romantic relationship in the vault, but oh. uh, both of them deny that. Right. Also, I would imagine, you know, not exactly a romantic setting. Um, no, and, probably not. you know, I believe them. So Sure. The hostages were all sent to the hospital to be checked for any injuries and then psychologically evaluated. And they each spent 10 days in the hospital, you know, being evaluated, and they were all unharmed. But the psychiatrists were just completely perplexed by the relationships that they had built with their captors. And they all felt positively about them. Kristen recalled her journals from that time, and she was having a really tough time. She was like, I couldn't sleep. She just wanted someone to hold her hand, and sometimes she was just screaming. So I think, just like from her account, it seems like she had, like, severe PTSD. Yeah, I mean, that's a very traumatic thing to go through. Yeah, so, you know, they're all healthy. They came out all right. Well, that's good. Jan was charged with kidnapping, violent robbery, and attempted murder, and Clark was charged with violent robbery. Clark claimed that he was forced into participating first by the police and then by Jan, only doing what he needed to do in order to survive. And Kristen refused to testify against Clark, along with the other hostages, and even lied for him, affirming that she never saw him holding a gun, which is untrue because he literally shot police through the hole. In front of her, right. Yeah. And she said, had I been able to decide, I would have given him a medal. And she thought that he shouldn't be punished for what he did. Whoa. That's a lot. That's a lot. To say that he shouldn't be punished. So, yeah. I mean, I completely understand where she's been coming from up until that point. Yeah, It's like, we can't commit perjury, you know? (laughs) Right. 
He um, still robbed a bank and took hostages. And, you know, even though he was nice to you, it it's still bank robbery with hostages. Yeah. yeah. Can't be doing that. No. <laughs> so Jan was sentenced to 10 years in prison for his role in the robbery. But Clark never saw the inside of a jail cell after an appeals court later found him innocent. Interesting. Or at least they didn't find, you know, him, guilty. Found him, find him guilty right. of the charges. So people speculated that the two had planned the entire incident, given that they had known each other prior. But Clark denies this. And when asked if he ever felt bad that Jan went to prison when he didn't, he said, no, 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 no. I never feel bad when I'm not in prison. He says, I don't feel guilty at all about it. And he said that Jan is, quote, a really shitty ass, egotistic, money-hungry, betrayer, traitor. Oh, and I was like, okay. Damn. Okay. My, how the turntables. Yeah. So his opinion is not positive. <laughs> well, he did get out of prison for saying that, I'm sure. So. Yeah. I mean. I mean, would you say it to get out of prison? Yeah, Maybe. I actually, like, I wonder, like, did he finish his sentence that he was in solitary for? I doubt it. I mean, he was in solitary confinement. It's not like you go from solitary to, like, walking free. I don't know, man. So over the years, Kristen has been actually supportive and critical of him. Mostly supportive, though. Of Clark? Yeah. She acknowledges kind of that what Clark did was bad. Mm -hmm. And she says that his plan was only his and contained only his needs and wishes. And the rest of us were just bricks in his game. Which, I mean, I think you said earlier, they're just pawns. Yeah. So she completely recognizes that. And she met back up with Clark years later when she was in a TV show that he had come to see her at. And I actually couldn't tell from how she was saying it if she was, like, acting in a TV show or if she was, like, being interviewed on a talk show. But the point is that he came in the audience to see her, and they met up after and went to dinner together. Casual. Yeah, it was, like, crazy. And they talked about the situation together. And Clark talked about it like they had had this fun experience together. Like, wow, like, we really went through it and got out of it, didn't we? And she was shocked and really wanted to make him understand that he had done something wrong and how he had affected her. And she really just like kind of laid into him. She was like, you made me so scared during the robbery and it's really affected my life after. And according to her, when Clark realized what he had done, he broke down into tears at dinner. Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Better late than ever. Right? Yeah. And Kristen felt like maybe now he understands what he did, you know? And despite this, Kristen and Clark had a more-than-friends relationship after um, that Kristen writes about in her book and that Clark also confirms uh, and saying, we had fun like hell. Oh, my God. I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. Yeah. They didn't have, like, a long-term relationship, but they're still friends and keep in contact. And Clark calls her Kiki. Kiki. Not Kiki. Yeah. Kristen continues to be annoyed with psychologists who say that she's too traumatized to fully realize what happened to her. And she's so sick of the term Stockholm Syndrome, which Mm. I can't, like, how can you not be? She feels like she got stamped with the label of an illness and is thus not credible. She says that, you know, like, syndrome, like, people think that there's something wrong with you, like, you have an illness, and therefore, you know, whatever you say can't be taken seriously. So she she just always feels that nobody ever listened to her and took her seriously and just dismissed her as, like, oh, you're traumatized. 
which I think is really sad because, you know, even like whether or not it's a syndrome, whether or not it's an illness, like obviously her experience is real. Yeah. Like what's real to you is real, period. Yeah, I think that's a valid concern. Yeah. To say that people are discrediting, like, her experience. I mean, she was the one that was in there. It's hard to, like, blanketly dismiss her or criticize her if you haven't been through the same thing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's it's exactly... Like you got to kind of have some empathy there and realize that you don't know the full situation. That's exactly what I was thinking. Know? And this is, like, such a, an interesting situation because it's not, like, a kidnapper who, like you know, raped them and, like, attacked them and all this stuff, yeah. like, held them captive for years on end. Like, it's it's not like that. It's different. And, like, they didn't hurt them, per se. And, yeah. you know, well, like... not physically. Right, exactly. So, I mean, obviously, it, there's... It's not black and white. Like, there's definitely... There's gray area for sure. But it is... It's different than some other instances of, like, Stockholm Syndrome where people use, like, a negative connotation, I feel like. Yeah. Her and Clark feel like it's misused a lot. And I mean, you know, it can kind of be like broadly applied just because some of the same patterns appear in like abusive relationships and kidnappings. And then another like of the articles, the other like most cited example was a coach, like a relationship with a coach and a player, which I thought was weird. Like I wouldn't think of that, but apparently there's situations like that. That But I mean, there's patterns that kind of happen where you could kind of be like, oh, this is like Stockholm syndrome. I could, I honestly could see that because, you know, if like a coach who pushes you really hard and like could even border on like abusive behavior and yet you idolize them and, you know, want to please them so much and you, you know, love them and look up to them. Yeah. That that makes sense. Yeah, I get it. And then, you know, she, so she obviously feels patronized by the, like, the characterization of her experience. Mm -hmm. And she's always felt like she had done something wrong. But now she knows she's like, for 40 years, I felt like, I felt like that. Like, I did something wrong. But now she knows that she did the right thing and feels proud of herself for how she handled the situation. That she came out on the other side. And now, Kristen is a psychotherapist, mostly for couples. Interesting. She says that no one really listened to her during or after when she was taken hostage. And although all therapists know that listening is important, she feels that for her, it's even more important. Just because she feels like she's never truly been listened to for her experience. Mm. So I think that's really cool. And I'm sure that she probably has a unique perspective on... Uh, yeah. Couples relationships. Definitely. I could, <laughs> you know what I mean? I could see that. So that is where she is at. Jan spent 10 years in prison, and when he was released, moved to Thailand to be with one of his pen pals. Okay. That he had made the joint. Good. It was a lady, so I think that they got married. And the relationship between the hostages and Clark and Jan persisted over time. Like, they still have a positive opinion of him. Elizabeth Oldgren accused the doctors who were treating her of trying to brainwash away her regard for Jan and Clark. Sven has said that Clark treated them very well, and Brigitte Lundblad, the fourth hostage, was the first person to visit Clark in in prison. So, I mean, like, they all had positive opinions of them, like, over time. It's not like, you know, we kind of had to, like, unlearn it. It's, like, permanent almost. Wow. And I mean, yeah. you know, Kristen and Clark are still friends today. Yeah, more than apparently. friends. Yeah. Well, I don't well, think that they... Not st- today. I, you know what I mean. They don't hook up still. Sure, you know. as far as we know. He calls her Kiki. Right. You know what I mean? That's something. <laughs> that, it's so crazy because there's a, a movie about this. It's called Stockholm. It's a good movie. I highly yeah, recommend. It's a good movie. It's not accurate, It's though. not historically accurate, but 
it's so crazy because I saw this movie and I was like, wow, this is such an interesting story. But hearing it, like the actual story is crazier, it's crazier. than the movie, which yeah. is so funny. Like the yeah. movie itself is already insane. Yeah, no, reality is crazier than fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. I mean, shit. Yeah. Let's put a bow on this. Clark has been back to prison several times since 1973. What? <laughs> and just before he was interviewed on the podcast Criminal, he had recently been released just months before, in April of 2019, for his involvement in drug smuggling. Okay. So he hasn't learned his lesson. No. Yeah, and then, like that's the vibe I got from his interview. It was just like total con man. Like He would always use these like blanket statements... They asked him, like, why do people, like, gravitate to you? He's like, oh, I'm a nice guy. And, like, he's like, I've never heard anyone ever tell me a bad word in my ear in my whole life. I bet uh, he's really fun to talk to, though. Yeah, I mean, you if you get him, it sounds like if you could get him talking, like, he would just, you know, he'd start spewing some BS. Oh, yeah. But it's entertaining. I bet. I bet. So, yeah, that's the story of Stockholm Syndrome. Wow. Where they all are today. Well, that's... not all of them, but right. the ones I could find info on. <laughs> that's really cool. So, I don't know. I'm really, I was really interested just in the phenomenon of Stockholm Syndrome. So, I did a little bit more research and I I found some descriptions of it that I thought were like, oh my God, that's like, that's so right on. It's kind of like they put what happened into a formula. And I was like, oh wow, like that's what it is. Ah, yes, my science brain really likes formulas. (laughs) Yes, thank you. This is, this is what's happening. (laughs) So, first of all, the syndrome is extremely rare. And according to data from the FBI, only about 5% of hostage victims show evidence of Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, every situation is different and obviously not that many people are taken hostage. So this is like a really small group of people. But there's an evolutionary psychology theory about this, that this syndrome or just like phenomenon developed like as a survival mechanism and can be linked back to our hunter-gatherer ancestors. And the theory is that women in those societies face the risk of being captured by another tribe and their lives were often at risk and by developing a bond between the tribe holding them captive it ensured their survival that makes sense and you know the frequency of these abductions over time could have developed into kind of an adaptive trait So, consistent with the evolutionary theory, it is thought that Stockholm Syndrome develops as part of the hostage's defense mechanism to allow them to express sympathy with the captor, which consequently leads to an acceptance of their situation and, in turn, restraining any challenge to escape the situation. So, you know, they start to relate to the hostage or the captors, accept the situation, and then, like, I'm not going to try and escape because that's risky. Right. A key contributor to Stockholm Syndrome is the formation of this like in-group and out-group mentality. So this is the us versus them that I was talking about. So this gets formed when both parties are interested in survival and survival becomes their shared interest, creating the in-group. And then the captor views the authorities as a threat to their own survival, which in turn threatens the lives of the hostages. So due to this domino effect, the hostages may also take the stance that the authorities are a threat to their lives, and this makes the authorities the outgroup. This intense bond occurs based on the commonality of survival that they have, and the intense need for survival can distort the in-group's impaired autonomy, so like basically like their ability to be independent because they're pretty much dependent on the police for everything. Like right. we saw, like they can cut off food and water. The hostages depend on their captor for basic needs, 
and the continuation of their lives, and the captor depends on the hostages' need for their own survival. So, like, they each depend on each other. Mm-hmm. And this dependency strengthens that in-group, out-group mentality. And as the hostages may see the captors as giving them life because they haven't taken it away. Yeah. This is exactly what seemed to happen as one of the hostages, Sven, said whenever the captors showed an act of kindness or, like, just didn't do something terrible, they could think of them as emergency gods. Mm. So... I don't know, like that description of me, like this, in, this de- like dependent dynamic, and then this in-group, out-group mentality. It's like it kind of creates the captors to be gods, and then it's also like the captors are dependent on the hostages too. 100%. Like I didn't consider that before. Yeah, but no, it's I mean, also true. Yeah, the captors are definitely dependent on the hostages because that's the only reason the police aren't coming in and arresting them or killing them. So they need the hostages. I mean, they know that for sure. But that's super interesting. I mean, that's exactly what this situation was, was they were all dependent on each other. Yeah, this is a really cool uh, article. There's like, I kind of really boiled it down. Maybe I could post it in the description, but I found it really interesting. Yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, that's it for my... Your tale? My tale or, and (laughs) facts about Stockholm Syndrome. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think that's endlessly interesting the story of Stockholm Syndrome, where it originated, and also just Stockholm Syndrome in general. So, hell yeah. Love yeah. that. Yeah, I know. I've been, I've been, like, thinking about it because it's just so crazy to me that, like, you can take someone hostage and, like, by doing so, anything that I give you ever, if I don't kill you, is, like, Life. a positive yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm a god to you. I know. It's, like, it's just so weird no, to me. I mean, in, in so many in- instances, Stockholm Syndrome and, like, the captive finding their captor as, like, a god or, like, you know, losing that, not drive to escape or, you know, whatever, but feeling like they can't escape, the hopelessness, and it's so toxic and so bad, but in this specific scenario, it's just so interesting. It, it, it yeah. just feels like a like a very specific case study, but, like, in, in right. every other situation, I'm like, oh, god, this is so bad. Like yeah. If you go back and kind of look at all of Kristen's quotes, you can kind of see that this like fits such to a T because she was using language like if the police do anything to like upset the situation, they would cause us to die. Right. And it it's wouldn't like be she, the yeah. captive or the, the captor's fault. Right. It would be the police's fault. Right. To, you know, make the situation bad. So she fully knows that like if they do anything, it's a threat to my survival. Yeah. But you completely accept the situation as is, and you disregard the fact that the captors have autonomy and are going to be the true cause of your death. But, you know, it's just like that blame shift, you know. It it makes sense, but it's just so interesting. It is. It is interesting. Whew. Well, good job. Thank you. I (laughs) try. For sure. What is your good thing? Um, You go first. I forgot. Shit. (laughs) My good thing is that we finished the final season of Dexter, New Blood, the, you know, where is he now kind of season, oh, you know? Yeah, it was it was a really good season. It was fun. And the ending was, was better. Definitely than, better uh, than the original ending of Dexter, which yeah. if you haven't watched, it's disappointing. But yeah, um, they were, I mean, they, I feel like they made the whole season of Dexter, this like new one, to redeem themselves from the ending of Dexter originally. Yeah. But it was it was a good ending. That's sure. I, I won't you I won't do any spoilers. I won't say anything more than that, but that's my good thing. I enjoyed the season of Dexter. Yeah, it's good. 
Yeah, my good thing is that we have booked a trip to Florida, so we're going to go hang out, and I'm excited for it. That's true, yeah. Your parents got a nice little Airbnb action. Going to hang out. Hang out. That's nice. We love that. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it'll so, be. I love beaches. Hell yeah. I'm excited. Good. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival that you would like to share with us, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is nottodaypodcast and a Twitter that is nottodaypodcast with a T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because it makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. 